Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. I'm still Andy Davis and this is episode four of season five. And it's a big picture episode this week as we're all about the numbers. So with so many scary numbers floating around about the economy right now, we thought we'd ask two of our favourite researchers to come up with a couple of interesting numbers each that they believe really illustrate the current state of the KBB market. And they're not necessarily what you'd think. We have KBB Review's Matt Baker talking to Jane Blakebrett from Trend Monitor and Dave Rustin from Eureka Research, and it's really, really interesting, so don't miss it. And then at the end, just as a little MCU-style Easter egg, there's a short interview I did at the Bathroom Manufacturers Association conference a few months ago with Robert Llewellyn. He's better known as the actor who plays Crichton from Red Dwarf. He's actually a very accomplished conference speaker, talking mostly about how the car industry is evolving and changing as it tackles its role in climate change. And that's very relevant, of course, to the struggle the KBB industry finds itself in. So he's a very interesting guy, but don't worry, I do get him to do the Crichton voice at the end as well. So stick around for that, but first... Are you recruiting at the moment? Well, not only is it still free to post your job ads on kbbreview.com, it will stay free until September the 1st. It's been so popular that we've extended it through the summer. But don't worry if you're not ready to post yet, as from September the 1st, we're still giving out the discounts, as for the rest of 2022, you can post your ads for the reduced rate of £50 for 30 days. That's a third off the normal rate of £75. So there's no catches, we're just celebrating the launch of our new self-service jobs page. Likewise, if you're job hunting right now, you can also see there the dozens of vacancies we have. Just go to kbbreview.com forward slash jobs. Now, over to KBB Review's Matt Baker. Thanks, Andy, and hello, everyone. I'm Matt Baker, and today I'm excited to be joined by research experts who have great insight into our industry of KBB and retail. First up, we have Jane Blakeborough from Trend Monitor. Hello, Jane. Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you. Hello, hello. And from Eureka Research, we have Dave Rustin. Hello, Dave. Hi, Matt. Listen, I'm really excited to have you guys on because you've got some great insight, as I say. So... Thank you for both coming on the pod. You've very kindly brought two of your favourite stats for us that you've uncovered through your research, be it surprising, illuminating, or you know something that's a stat that says something about the current state of play of the KBB industry. So, Jane, you're going to kick us off with a cracker. What's your first stat for us? Oh, well, I love this stat. And um, it's actually from a government report released in July 21, and they put out a report called Build Back Better High Streets. And the reason they have decided to um, promise £10 million worth of funding for high streets and town centres is because they found that 72% of all retail sales took place in physical stores in 2020, which was obviously the lockdown year. So despite everybody thinking that everything was going to end up online, that really wasn't the case. And since then, there's been more research done and more stats put out about the fact that online has possibly peaked and we are going back to shopping in stores. I find that so, so incredible. Do you think it has something to do with the bounce back around people being out and about in between and after lockdowns? Do you think it's in those periods where people went mad buying stuff? 
Um, you mean buying stuff online or buying stuff in physical stores? So physical stores. So in between the, the when we came out of lockdowns, was it like a burst of people rushing out and buying things in physical stores? Possibly. Um, I mean, we weren't actually locked out of the stores for that long. It felt like we were. Um, but if you look at it, it wasn't, it wasn't that long. Um, I think there was a lot of um, fear around going into stores. So even though they were open, there weren't particularly great places to go into. So it was just easier to shop online. So there was a massive peak. And then what happened was that people realised that, like you say, that actually they quite like physical stores. And when they were forced to shop online, you know, there was no option but to shop online. But given the choice, people realised that they actually liked stores and um, I listened to a presentation by PwC about the changing consumer purchase journey. And their research found that there's there's a lot of people that are actually ambivalent, whether they shop online or shop in physical stores. And what, what will change their mind is the experience they get. So if they get a better experience online, they'll continue to shop online. But if they get a better experience in a store, they'll go to shop in a store if they can do. I think your point there, Matt, about putting that into the context of where we were pandemic-wise is, is, is also key. The piece of research that I'll talk about in a few minutes, what we, what we also learned from that was that when it comes to bathroom visits in, into a showroom, around that same time that, that, that we're talking about, consumers were still particularly resilient and insistent on going into a bricks-and-mortar environment. So they were happy to largely comply with all of the restrictions that had to be put into place, masks, ring it up to make appointments, waiting your turn outside, to, to the point that they were still making an average of three visits during their bathroom journey, we put it like that, which they said was only just slightly less, Matt, than, than they would have in, let's call it, normal times. Okay, so that kind of backs up what Jane was saying there. So that leads us on quite nicely then, Dave. Do you want to tell us your first stat? Um, absolutely, yeah. So this was a really nice piece of work for Heritage, which um, I'm sure lots of your uh, regular listeners will be um, very familiar with as a brand. One one key stat which really jumped out off the page here was that 63%, practically two-thirds of consumers agree that the showroom is still the best place to get inspiration about bathroom and kitchen products. 63%. I find that really interesting because it says something specific about the KBB industry, but also earlier on in that buying journey, doesn't it? So what did you find? We can unpick this a little bit more. So as a, as, as a stater, you would ex- be expecting me to have a bit more uh, nuance to, to the simple statistic. So actually a quarter of consumers strongly agree with that. So the first one we can say is, all, all consumers aren't the same. You know, there's a, there's a whole spectrum of them. But, you know, we've got a quarter who are really strongly passionate, frankly, about going into the showroom, those big ticket items. They want that touch and feel. They want to be able to talk to someone. And, and also, critically, we found it's somewhere they can go back to if they have to return any items or they have any after-sale in, inquiries. The other thing to say about this finding is that hardly anyone disagreed so although there although there be people who are neutral and sort of sitting on the fence and go, well, you know, if I can get around to it or if the showroom is close to me or if it is attractive, I'll, I'll, I'll get myself there. Hardly anybody rejects the concept that a showroom is a positive place to go. 
what we also found was that the more affluent customers, the ones who have got a higher budget in mind when it comes to what they want to spend on their project, and by that I mean around £5,000 or more, they're even more likely to agree with that statement that the showroom is the best place to get inspiration. And what are the reasons behind that? Because I think your research also pulled out some reasons why they would want to be in the show. And so the ability to actually see the quality of products and stuff like that. You've got some stats on that as well? Absolutely. So that again, there's no one single factor. It's, it's that whole package, that whole experience. But the things that come towards the top of the pile are quality of products, the, the ability to see, touch those. Again, ne- nearly two-thirds, 65% of customers say that that's an important driver and quickly followed by range. So not just having one or two key items, but um, having a whole range of bathroom items that they can see all under one roof. Those are absolutely the two most important um, factors as to why they find uh, a showroom bricks and mortar experience to be vital. And Jane, has your research found anything about the showroom or where consumers get inspiration? Yes, definitely. And um, we would agree with Dave's research. We've just done some research for the Bathroom Manufacturers Association and that looked at where people are researching prior to purchase. It's getting inspiration, it's finding out about products, it's looking at pricing, it's understanding the whole sort of how you fit a bathroom. And we found that um, the most useful research is was actually the advice from the bathroom fitter, which we're coming on to later. But after that was visiting a retail outlet, either an independent bathroom retailer or um, actually visiting a DIY outlet. But that was mainly because the majority of bathrooms actually do go through the DIY outlet. So that's possibly why they that came up third. But definitely visiting a showroom comes very high on the consumer's um list of places to research and gain information and feel confident and we'd also agree with those comments about being able to touch and feel the product being able to get advice from the showroom being able to understand about different brands rather than just winging it really online and we found that where they have gone into an independent bathroom retailer in particular, then that retailer will get the whole of the sale because we're finding that that consumers are actually shopping around a lot more for bathroom products when they're buying a whole bathroom. So they might buy part from one place and part from another. But where they go into an independent bathroom retailer, they are most likely to keep the whole of the sale, which comes down to service at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, that's what independents are known for, aren't they? We've spoken a little bit about retail sales in general and where people prefer to get their inspiration to make those kitchen and bathroom purchases. Um, But there's also another part to this, Jane, where you found who has the most influence on a renovation project. What's What's your second stat for us? Well, I've got various stats, actually, which sort of break down the influence of the fitter throughout the whole of the purchase process, because we looked at people who have purchased a complete new bathroom over the the past two years. So we actually asked for people to respond to a survey that had fitted a bathroom between March 2020 and May 2022. And then we benchmarked against previous data that we have from research going back as far back as 2013. And we found that the influence of the bathroom fitter has increased. 
And the, some stats that came out of the um, 2022 research were that 16% of homeowners thought that advice from the bathroom fitter was the most useful research method. 28% of homeowners had their bathroom planned by their bathroom fitter. 16% of homeowners relied on their bathroom fitter to supply all of the products for their new bathroom. 25% of homeowners chose a retailer because it was recommended by the bathroom fitter. And the last question we asked was who had the most influence over their choice of products? And 40% of, of um, the people that responded to our survey said that the bathroom fitter had the greatest influence over their choice of products. So you can see as they go through the purchase process and the, the purchase journey, how much impact the fitter has as, it go, as they go along. Yeah, and an installer can sometimes change the spec of a renovation. Yeah, um, if it if it's been designed by a designer in an independent showroom, and how easy things are to install, and the quality of the product from an installer perspective can affect that that buying journey and the purchase. Dave, have you found anything on influencing renovation projects? I find this whole area really fascinating. This dynamic between the consumer on one hand and the tradesperson on the other. We've actually looked at this whole issue through lots of different categories, Matt. So we've looked at it through tiling, we looked at it through um, painting and decorating, kitchens, bathrooms, and more sort of technical products such as um, heating systems and, and boilers. And I would say this whole area is in flux about who is actually holding whose hand. And I think that that sort of little package of stats from Jane there was brilliant, wasn't it? Because it just sort of highlights how many things that the that the tradesperson is actually still responsible for, however subtly that might actually be panning out. Because at the really at the really top level, we can't deny the fact that the consumer is becoming more and more confident. Their passion, their interest, the, the fact that they're being tweaked with above the line advertising in primetime spots, the fantastic activation that you see in in sheds and independent stores, all creates this climate where consumers feel more and more confident to purchase directly and even have a cut fit in it sometimes themselves. But we've seen it with our own two eyes, Matt, that when you actually observe the interactions that still go on with tradespeople and the consumer at that, that early journey point, the subtle influences that the tradesperson still has over the consumer are absolutely there. It's just that they're less explicit than they used to. Yeah, I'd, I would agree that some of this is quite subtle behaviour. And, you know, it goes back to that old teeth sucking thing that happens when you go, well, I want to fit this. And they go, well, you, <laughs> Love that. That. Yeah. you know, what you actually want is a, you know, a raised shower tray, you know, rather than a wet room. And it's, it's just whatever they feel comfortable fitting. But I, I do think there is a new breed of, of installers coming through that are much more on the side of the consumer and um it is a lot to do with training um early on getting them early enough to um test products and trial products so they feel confident fitting them and know that it's a fit and forget product so there is a lot of work on the manufacturer's side to educate installers i think as well you've got installers who are wanting that relationship with the retailers that they are doing the work for and the manufacturers because actually 
it's their reputation because when they fit in a new bathroom, say, and um, that customer is aware of the retailer that they went to, but they're also aware of who that fitter is. And so, and if there is any problems, it's the fitter that's got to come back and sort it all out. And we, we found that actually the most popular way for a um, homeowner to find a fitter is by recommendation from family and friends which is not always the best way to do that because if you want to fit something a bit different from your family and friends, then you can hit problems. And actually what would be better if they used a fitter that was recommended by the retailer so that they understand that the products that have been designed into the bathroom are the ones that they are actually going to have to fit and not put in a cheaper version or an easier version. Talking of the installer and tradespeople in general, Dave, you have something about the trades and how they're feeling about business in the current climate and about the future of business, haven't you? Indeed. This starts to become quite sobering in, in, in some ways. So my, my second stat is that um, tradesperson nervousness has increased from 26% to 37%. So 11 points um, more more nervous, you, you could put it that way. On, on the face of it, it doesn't sound that much, does it? It doesn't, but what's what's the timeframes that you're talking from? So when was the 26% and, and the 37% is now? But when what's the timeframes we're talking about? Again, that sense of context is, is key because the 26% was as we came out of lockdown in mid-2020. <laughs> if we cast our minds back to what that time was like, there was... Um, shall we say a lot of um, unknown quantities also around at that at that point? Um, so people uh, and, and trades people have been been no different to to all of us. Of course, there was already nervousness around then, and they've become even more nervous now. I was going to make a broader point as well. We see installers as being essentially a barometer of how our part of the economy is doing. In this sense, the KBB economy, they effectively give us. I, I think, a sense of the top end of, of the funnel. We regularly ask all, all the trades that we engage with about some of these soft indicators, we call them. That could be number of new inquiries they're getting from, from customers. That could be households or builders or contractors. What's the actual size of their order book? And, and, and this sense of whether they're feeling confident or nervous about the future of their own business. So uh, a sort of a sentiment type measure. And that's where this nervousness statistic has come from. It's in effect one side of a coin, isn't it? And it's a very polarised coin. So as we've said, 37% are nervous about what the future is going to hold. And and that's up from 26%. On the flip side of that coin, 39% are still confident. They're rather still bullish about the future. But that's down. That's down from 46%. And then the remainder are literally sitting on the fence. So it's a bit of a mixed bag at the moment then. So I guess that's why we're seeing this nervousness. It's the ambiguity of the situation that we're in, I guess. You're saying that some tradespeople are seeing order books diminishing at the moment. I think this is one of the key drivers pushing nervousness at at the moment and making trades of all types a a little bit twitchy, if I could put it like that. The order book amongst those that have a bathroom and kitchen slant we found is down to three months now. To be precise, 2.8 months. The general builders and the multi-traders we, we talked to recently, they indicated a little bit more resilience in their order book than, than that. But from a KBB point of view, it's down to about three months, as I said. So absolutely, things feel like they're on a bit of a knife edge at the moment. 
And perhaps we all feel a little bit like that. Every day you turn on the news, there's something that can change your mood, isn't there? It could be some new new piece of economic news, something about diesel prices, something political. So when it comes to those big ticket items in the KBB context, and pushing the button that says go, which means that that tradesperson gets that little bit more confidence than they had that day before, it's not always quite happening at the moment because we are living in such uncertain times. What we saw was that there was a peak in renovation projects and a bit of a backlog because people sort of at the end, sort of in the middle of, of lockdown, the first lockdown, it was very, very difficult to get materials and people couldn't go into people's houses. So there was like a backlog. So when you're saying that they uh, have got reduced order books, are they reduced compared to before COVID or reduced compared to the peak that we saw around about the end of 2020? Brilliant point. This stat is more or less hot off the press. It was start of the summer. So it's, it's absolutely, as of now, more, more or less. Anecdotally, all the feedback over the last 18 months has been uh, phone hasn't stopped ringing. Order book is sort of stretched sort of six, seven, eight, nine months. So we are absolutely now at that point, Jane, where they've burned or have pretty much burnt through most of that order book to leave them with about three months worth of work. So if it, if it dips any further, then there'll be at panic stations but they, they will be looking for other things. We know from other categories that tradespeople can be really entrepreneurial. Myself and my colleague at Eureka often term tradespeople as chameleons. A lot of them are quite unashamedly multi-traders. They will sort of go around and very happy to, to, to quote on a bit of plastering or a bit of carpentry, as well as their sort of stable bathroom or, or, or kitchen products as well. So I think the next few years might be defined by that again. That, that a lot of tradespeople will open up their order book and say, do you know what, I, I, I will look at more of a variety of sorts of projects. Well, guys, that's all really, really interesting, but we've run out of time for today. Plenty to think about, plenty to ponder about the future of KBB. Thanks again to Jane Blakeborough and Dave Rushton, and let's catch up soon. Thank you very much for inviting us. Thank you. That was Matt Baker talking to Jane Blakebrat and Dave Rustin. And there were some very positive and reassuring points in there, wasn't there? But I think there's clearly an underlying issue of confidence creeping in. So it'll be very interesting to see how it all pans out. Now, next up, as promised, we have my quick chat with Robert Llewellyn, who I met after he'd just finished his presentation at the Bathroom Manufacturers Association conference a few months ago. So I'll hand over now to a slightly overexcited me. Robert, yes, absolute honour and pleasure to meet you, sir. And I'm sure, like every 50 year old man with grey hair who comes up to you, <laughs> I love Red Dwarf and right. I always have, so I'm a big fan, so it's absolutely pleasure to meet you. But look, absolutely fascinating presentation today, mainly about the automotive industry. And I'm wondering, because this industry, I think, is behind automotive in terms of its transition. I, right? I, I, there's a big chunk of the automotive industry that's firmly rooted in the 1950s, so I wouldn't worry too much. Well, this is what I'm asking for, really. It's about how you get ahead of consumer demand and anticipate consumer yeah, demand for this yeah. stuff. Because what this industry doesn't have that perhaps cars are just getting into is people are going out and looking for it. Yeah. But in this industry, people aren't going out and looking no. for it. No. So what's, what's, how do you spot it, do you think? What's, what was the turning point for that industry? I, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, I, it's so annoying to say it, but I honestly think it was Tesla, which is really annoying that it's one company. And I'm not a Tesla fanboy. I think there's a lot of reasons to be very sceptical about them. And they may disappear in the next few years. 
but we cannot deny that they've had this enormous impact outside of the public realm. Yeah. So within the automotive industry, they literally terrified the living daylights out of every big car company. So do you of. think it's about disruptors then? Well, in that in that case of the automotive industry, I, I think it is. And there are key players in the automotive industry, so Nissan, Renault in particular. Toyota originally, amazing, but absolutely stopped. But Nissan and Renault and, Toyota and Tesla all produced purpose-built electric cars really, really early on. Not converted, vaguely fitted out mm. Ford that really was very compromised because it was built as a combustion car. So that is a difference. They've, they're now all catching on to mm. doing it. So it's, it's, it's a very different picture now. But how you judge that initial market is the critically difficult thing that the automotive industry, I think, failed at for a decade. Because what Tesla seems to have done so brilliantly is they've combined... The technology, fantastic. With, yeah. It's just a quite a cool thing. Yeah, it? yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's a branding exercise, it's a marketing yeah. exercise, it's a it's a status symbol, and it's all those things that go along with it, rather than just being incredibly worthy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's definitely not worthy, and I think that's the that's a critically important thing that you know. If you if you would say people, you know, the joke, the kind of Clarkson joke would be, oh, well, now I've got to have a bath in a Hessian bath, otherwise it's not in biodegradable or something, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And you've got and that's as an industry. I mean, I think it's not hard. You've got to move beyond that. And it's, I mean, energy efficiency. I've just been talking to a gentleman from, uh, I can't remember now, the boiler company that do electric shower heat. You know, yeah. in, what do they call instant yeah. heat? I haven't got one, but yeah. I know what they are. I'm sure they'll sort you out. Yes, no, but, <laughs> but they're, how much more energy efficient that is, yeah. how it can save you money. I mean, those things, I think, are critically important. I mean, it is a really... And it's the boring stuff that goes along with it, isn't it? It's infrastructure. Yes. You know? So even just driving up here today, you stop off at a service station and there's just a row of Tesla chargers there. And it's having the infrastructure that goes along with the cool thing. You have to make it practical and usable. And and that was their foresight, was that people go, well, I don't really like the cars. They go, no, don't like the cars. You can hate the cars. But believe me, if you want to drive to the south of Italy, Mm. the supercharger network is game-changing, absolutely brilliant, you know, and you don't worry about it. And, I mean, how you do that with... Uh, you know, I think it's particularly hot, the hot water aspect of, of the bathroom environment. But bathrooms are, okay, important. they're not a Tesla, but they're a thing that you buy for your house that you show off to people, that yeah, you, you yeah. invest a lot of money in, you want yeah, it to yeah. look pretty cool and pretty nice, and therefore to have that extra element of, of and they are also very good for yes. the sustainability and everything else goes along yeah. with it. I mean, the, the, the same rules do apply to all Yes, yes they do, and I mean, it is, I suppose the, the difficulty is that the ease of making an incredibly efficient bathroom in a new build home which what's annoying is if you don't do that that is really yeah. if you are putting in gas boilers and old fashioned but the only way that happens is the government make them if the government make them I think yeah. that, that is a legislative thing I think you're right yeah. well look watch as I seamlessly draw Red Dwarf into this a little bit because one of the things I think when we, whenever discussions about this happen is yeah, you've been involved in a science fiction show for... About, it's about 30. For a very long time. Four years. Or it's how like much that. science fiction becomes science fact. Yeah, yeah. You know? And stuff that you think of as being very science fiction-y yeah. does become real. Yeah. And you've seen that a lot in lots of Star Trek and lots of things yeah. as well. And the same has happened with, with even some of Red Dwarf stuff. Back to yeah, life, yeah. The, whole, you know, the virtual reality yes. stuff. Oh, God, yeah. Loads of things. Yeah. And yeah, why we deal with the kitchen side of the market as well. And... You know, big thing there is smart appliances, and you know, Crichton yeah. is effectively a smart appliance. Well, he's a very advanced bog bot. Yeah, yeah. But you know, talking to toaster, talking smart, toaster, smart yeah. appliance wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't make several one time toast. You know, and then these things do. You know, there's been talk before about lots of government agencies involve science fiction writers and yeah. stuff in very blue sky thinking, don't they? And it, yeah. it, it, it's interesting how culture and, and science do mix in those yeah. kind of ways, yeah. isn't it? And they do come up with new ideas. Yes. 
Well, I mean, I mean, one of the books that I read in the 70s, and I can't even remember what it was called, it could have been Asimov, but there was a, just a sequence in that book where someone flies in a vertical takeoff and landing passenger plane that is powered by electricity. And it, I didn't even register with me. I didn't even think it was just sci-fi. And I recently flew for the first time in an electric aircraft, and I went, oh, my God, this, yeah. this is so weird, because it is different. It, it, it's a little aeroplane that was bouncing around like mad in the wind. But when it took off, it just went... Like that. And, there and, was and Jack, there's the jetpack guy and, yeah, yeah. and just all these things. They're, they're all yeah. real, aren't they? Now, I'm going to conclude with this because I do talk about the kitchen industry as well. And I'm going to give you the opportunity now, Robert, because one of the big brands in the kitchen industry is Smeg. It's Smeg. It's hugely popular. So I'm, going to, I'm either going to give you the chance to either apologise <laughs> or congratulate one or the other. Yeah, I, think, I think congratulate. I think it's, a, well, it's an Italian brand, isn't yes. it? And we did have a Smeg fridge for a long time, which we were very happy. Now my son has it in his flat. So it's still in the family. Well, just I thought it might be interesting as well to know, because, of course, there is a guy in the UK who runs Smeg, right. and he is the head of Smeg. And his, name, is. And his name's Mike. So <laughs> I just thought you might like to say hello, say hello to Mike, who is the Smeg head. Mike, very nice to meet you, sir, and you do know that you are a Smeg. A Smeg. Smeg. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's literally just made my day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Robert for taking time out to not only talk to me, but also clearly indulge me. That's it for this week, but don't forget to check out kbbreview.com forward slash jobs for all the latest vacancies and to post your own ads for free until September the 1st. See you next time.